from Bookworms in the Wild and from Anchor. I'm Howard Altarescu, and this is my podcast where I ask people I find interesting to tell me what they're reading. When Andrea Phillips, who was then vice chair of the Iowa Democratic Party, started a book club to encourage her fellow Iowans to read the books written by the 2020 Democratic Party candidates, my wife and I heard Andrea interviewed on MSNBC. Andrea said that Iowa Democrats take their role in vetting the presidential candidates seriously, and that she hoped that the book club would help voters know the candidates better so that people can make a good decision on caucus night, which is on February 3. Andrea decided to launch the 2020 Book Club and to put up a 2020 Book Club Facebook page so that Iowans and others as well could have a forum to discuss the books written by all of the candidates. After hearing the interview, I immediately thought that we should do a podcast discussion of the books authored by the candidates, and I tracked down Andrea on Facebook. Andrea is now busy, full-time, seeking the Iowa House District 37 seat. But we are really fortunate to have the opportunity to have this discussion today with Kendra Dodson Bridesbreck, the owner and editor of the Dayton Leader newspaper in Dayton, Iowa, a small town located right in the middle of the state. Kendra is also a charter member of the 2020 Book Club, Good morning. Good morning. Kendra, I'm so pleased to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me. The 2020 Book Club list and schedule were created before several candidates dropped out and before still more dropped in to the race. In the spirit of Andrea Phillips' vision to give Iowans the opportunity to know the candidates better so that people can make a good decision on caucus night, Our podcast will include my discussion with Kendra about the books written by seven of the candidates who now remain in the race. Kendra has read the books written by all of the candidates and has a terrific perspective based on her long and deep history in politics and also as a journalist. I hope that listeners will learn some more about the candidates and for those of us not from Iowa, we'll also learn a little bit about the dynamics of the campaigning leading up to the caucuses, including the vital importance of just showing up. It was interesting when I looked back at the questions uh, that were the 2020 book club uh, centered around, and maybe Andrea put together, maybe others did. Uh, one of the th- questions was, how, you, how would you review this book in one sentence? Uh, and I posted on my website... Um, www.bookwormsinthewild.com. Uh, my one sentence reviews, uh, the long run on sentences, admittedly. But another question, uh, which I really felt uh, was striking and, and comes out in a lot of these books how does it seem the upbringing of the candidates impacted their current worldview and policy priorities? And I think you know, we'll hear some of this as we talk. So, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, South Bend, Indiana, uh, his book is called Shortest Way Home. Well, he starts his book, well, you know, he's an English major, or was an English major. 
I think it was a weird English history combination. Um, but he refers to literature all the way through it and starts each book with a each chapter with a quote from a book that he likes or a poem or something. And, and that just, I, I think I wrote, I'm looking at the book club now as we're talking. I wrote, this English teacher is swooning because it was so literary. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's right. You're an English te- you were an English teacher as well, right? I was. I taught the high school level for about 20 years and then the college level for about seven until I decided to do this newspaper thing full time. And and so so his his uh, ability to write uh, was moving for you, right? It's it's beautiful prose, and some. I mean, it's just you know like you read it out loud. It's that kind of a book. Well, English teachers read it out loud, <laughs> where you get to something you're like, oh, you know. And I read a lot of books, and most of them don't make me do that. Where I'm just well, that is just a beautifully crafted sentence. Although I am going, like I said, I'm going through my remarks. And I did catch a grammar error. <laughs> 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 I, I, I hope you pointed that out to him when you met. Well, not to him, but I pointed it out on the book club. I met him a couple of times. He's got a real way about speaking. He's got a real um, way of connecting, even though he's obviously brilliant, you know. He's brilliant. Uh, he's young. Uh, he refers to himself as a millennial. Um, but at the same time, he's had... Extraordinary experiences um, as a um, uh, now a veteran, but a, a, in in the war, um, and as mayor, as a young and successful mayor. What I found, one of the things I found interesting was his comments about recognizing the importance of coupling policy with symbolism. Uh, as he said, being present at the, uh, uh, as the mayor on behalf of the city to show empathy and. That, that's that's a deep and sophisticated thought for a, is he 37 years old? Yeah, 37 year old. Yeah, 37, just barely old enough to run. Yeah, that's right, by two years. There's another quote I liked, uh, which reminded me of something. He talked about working at the local level as part of building a better nation, tearing down obstacles to a good everyday life in a single community, knowing how the small adds up to the great. And that, too, that, that was uh, compelling for me. Uh, I have frequently referred to a lesson taught by my uh, college professor, uh, known to many people, Howard Zinn. And Howard Zinn talked about the importance of going back into your communities and being good citizens. And so you know, looking at your own community and knowing how the small adds up to the great. And I found that uh, to be wise advice from a young man. So I, 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 li- I like that book, and I... That was a great introduction that he created uh, for those who read the book, an introduction to him. Talking about chapter eight, I think, was when he talked about the importance of symbolic roles of elected officials. Yes. Um, which kind of an expansion of the concept of a bully pulpit. Um, and I, that was my favorite chapter, ironically, the one you're mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, um, that's a great use of the bully pulpit. It is. It is a great use of the bully pulpit. Okay, John Delaney. Oh, he's a real different. Gee, there was not a whole lot of bootstrap pulling up with that guy, huh? No. <laughs> and I will note that John Delaney is really popular where I live, and I think it'll be super interesting at the caucuses to see what he does. That's so interesting. He has been here the longest. He had an office open well over a year ago. And why do you think um, he's? Why do you think he's popular in your area? Well, I think he's just been here. Yeah. You know, and and. I bet you I'm invited to a John Delaney event in my county once every other month. He's here all the time. 
And I think people like that, where you can ask them a question and then go back and ask them another question, you know, and shake his hand and sit down and talk about your grandkids or whatever. I think people really like that. Yeah. He's also a really good speaker. Um, he makes some really good points using props. Um, the time I saw him, he was at a restaurant, and he was talking about healthcare, which they all talk about. And the props that he used were mustard, ketchup, a napkin holder, and a thing of salt. And it was just kind of funny, you know, and that sticks with you sometimes. Yeah. So, so his book, uh, The Right Answer, How We Can Unify Our Divided Nation, the major focus, and, and I did not read this book, but I read, <clears throat> pardon me, reviews, and so I love your input. The major focus appears to be on the need for bipartisanship. Well, very similar to Cory Booker's book in a way. So that reaching across the aisle message, yes, that that message, um, I think you can kind of put them into three different categories. But one is that we've got to work together. So what I asked him when I met him in person, because this wasn't in his book, was how are you going to do that? How are you going to work with Mitch McConnell? And he said, well, nobody's probably going to work with Mitch McConnell. Well, let me tell you another story. <laughs> and he told me how he got a bipartisan environmental regulation bill passed by looking at Republican senators in coastal areas, like Marco Rubio, who their populace makes their living off the ocean. And it's the only bipartisan environmental bill that's ever been passed in the Senate. And I thought, well, that, A, you explained it really well. <laughs> and B, you, you did what you said you were going to. You said you want to be bipartisan, and yeah. everybody can say that. Yep. But you did it, and you, then you told me how. So I like that. He's got a couple other things in there. He's um, required national service. That's an interesting thought. That is an interesting thought. Um, he's got some of those touchy-feely liberal things in there, in addition to, you know, the work across the aisle thing, which is more moderate. Right. right. He's an interesting candidate. Uh, has, outside your county has not made much of an impact. Oh, I, well, he's got some die-hard supporters. I mean, he's got some people that just—he's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think he's thrilled with a third place. Okay, well, we'll see. And what, what is the name? Yeah. What, what is the name of your county? Oh, I'm sorry. That's what you Webster County. Webster. Okay. Uh, Webster. Our big town is Fort Dodge. Um, uh, that's the county seat. Right. And the rest is quite rural. Um, but he's had an office in Fort Dodge for well over a year. Well over a year. And that, you know, sometimes just being there, yes. you know, just is, is big. Yep. Okay, who's next? Okay, so Kamala is next, but we're not talking about her. Let's talk about the senator from the heartland, Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar is different. Um, she kind of speaks even in her book in soundbite. The things that she says um, on the debate stage or wherever, I read them first in her book. She, like, tried them out there, maybe. All head and no beard. Um, when they called me a street fighter from the Iron Range, I said, thank you. Those are all word-for-word quotes from her book, which I think is interesting when you hear them out on the debate stage yeah. or on the stuff. Sure. It's interesting, and she's still in there. Isn't that interesting that she's... I tell you, I, I, I didn't know anything about her, and I came away so enthusiastic. Uh, and they're, I'm going to say they're historical precedents for that with me. You know, my notes, um, so I, I, I referred to her as earnest, focused, in, and in the great populist tradition of her Swiss, German, Slovenian, immigrant, Minnesota roots, uh, a, di- a disciple of uh, former Vice Presidents Humphrey and Mondale and former United States Senator Paul Wellstone. Uh, and I've got a soft spot for... Midwestern populism. Um, 
So I often compare her to Wellstone. That's the one that I most often compare her to is Paul Wellstone. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I think he has an under, a power of understatement sometimes. She keeps calling her dad a newspaper man. Right. Um, which makes it seem like he's me, you know, yeah. small town newspaper. Yeah, you look it up. He's a rock star. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I got, yeah, I got that. Know? I got it. Well, I don't know if I got that impression from the book or, or when I looked him up afterwards. But yeah, he, he was a rock star. Um, yeah, there's a, she just calls him a newspaper man. Uh, so you look at that rhetorically, that's interesting. Yeah. But if you look at that rhetorically, a newspaper man is more of the people yes. than a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think maybe that's why Kirsten Gillibrand chose to use the F word yeah. and a, a lot of other things. I think they're they're looking, I'm one of you. Yeah. Or why Donald Trump swears as much as he does. Yeah. His face, he thinks that his face does a lot of swearing too, you know? Well, that's that is interesting. That is interesting. So, uh, as I said, the the one of the questions asked was, what, "What does the book tell you about their upbringing, or what? How did their upbringing impact then and, and then uh, the individual candidates?" And so, I read and, and listened uh, to Amy's book, uh, Senator Klobuchar's book, uh, "Searching for Clues uh, to an Understanding of the Author," and there are clues throughout, uh, including uh, you know her her, her her Slovenian ancestors. Her father, uh, in so many ways, uh, but also the optimism she displays, and she somewhere in the book, and maybe maybe near the end, she includes a uh, quote from a Slovenian obituary. And the, oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, may you always remember that obstacles in the path are not obstacles; they are the path. And uh, so I, I I came away, as I said, very enthusiastic about Senator Klobuchar after reading that book. I think the background story that stood out most to me was not from her childhood as much, um, but from the story of her daughter's book and her daughter's health history. Yes. And then how she took this experience to change the law in Minnesota. That's the, the story that, to me, from her background, was very touching. And I had a chance to meet her daughter. She's wonderful. Um, but that was the one that, to me, more so than her childhood story, the one about her own personal experience when her daughter was born. Oh, just, you know, heart-wrenching. Yes, heart-wrenching. All right, so who's next? Okay, now we got Bernie. Uh, oh, we're going to talk about rhetoric with Bernie here. Okay, let's talk to Yeah. So, he is an interesting... Yeah. Interesting, interesting man. I, I uh, just go on the record here, I don't only own a newspaper. I am the, quote, Gilbert and Sullivan, the very definition of a establishment Democrat. You know, I... Uh, my first campaign was 1972 when I was seven years old. Um, <laughs> I, my grandpa was an Irish Democrat. That is me. So with Sanders, oh my goodness, all the way through, he makes it really hard for a, fu a fundamental Democrat to like him. <laughs> you know, because it's like you're with him. He has you. Oh my gosh, what he's saying is so wow. And then he criticizes, you know, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really interesting. And he's written four books. And I think the one we read is Two Years in the Resistance. Right. In the Resistance. Yes. Are you fighting establishment Democrat? Are you resisting me? <laughs> you know? Well, his rhetoric is so interesting to me that he'll have me. He will completely have me. I'll be like, yes. And then the next paragraph, he'll lose me. And I think that's interesting, the way he constructs his books. So I, I, um, so so yes, he, he talks about the resistance, but I read that. So I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but I um, I read that as resistance to uh, the current 
uh, president. And, and more than anyone, uh, Bernie's book, Senator Sanders Attacks uh, the Current President, who he refers to as an unmitigated disaster, a racist, sexist, bigot, xenophobe, a phony, a pathological liar, who played on the fears of the American people, a mean-spirited authoritarian billionaire. That, that's, that's Bernie's summary. And, and others are critical, but nobody uh, takes him on that, that uh, directly. Bernie also has something which um, uh, Senator Warren has as well, which is a historical perspective. And Bernie, uh, because of his age, certainly uh, more than most. Uh, but this, this is part of what appears to have formed him, his, his understanding of uh, not only uh, Dr. King, but so many others. Um, and he talks about the importance of grassroots. Well, and and, and uh, Bernie refers to uh, FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt and Winston Churchill and Jesse Jackson. And then Dr. King, who mobilized people at the grassroots level to affect the required fundamental change, and Bernie is, uh, at the end of the day, a grassroots politician, as, as is, ironically, uh, okay, President Andy, Trump. Well, it's, go, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Let's look at his rhetoric. A grassroots politician listens more than he tells, right? Good. Bernie's a big teller. He tells us. He's not the world's best listener. And I just saw him live last Sunday. And these are comments that I'm getting off the book club. Um, not necessarily from me, just things that made me think. He's a little preachy. Mm-hmm. And does a true grassroots politician do that? That's a good point. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. So um, I think I could see him Sunday, and I think someone told him that. I think somebody has point, in his staff has pointed out that he needs to listen more. Because he spent the first half of his rally just letting people talk, yeah. which was interesting. And rail and rant and scream and yell. And they were angry. And then when I asked my question, which was, why shouldn't an establishment Democrat vote for you? I raised my hand and said, I'm an establishment Democrat. Every time I turn around, you're telling me what I do wrong. Why should I vote for you? He called me up on stage and hugged me. (laughs) I think someone pointed out that you need to back up a little because it's the establishment Democrats that run these caucuses. That's interesting. That's very interesting. But his rhetoric is so interesting to me. But the other thing about Bernie, there are lots and lots of people in the last election that chose to vote for either Bernie or Trump. That was their choice. And I've read him, and I watch him on debate, and I read articles about him, and I never got that. My God, why would you choose between Bernie, I've read what he says, and Trump? I don't get it. Once I saw him live, I got it. I got it. And it does not come out in his book, and it does not come out in his speeches. It comes out in his rallies. Yeah. And it's very fan clubby, culty. It's very, they are angry at everything, yeah. and he listens. Yeah, interesting. So, it is interesting. He is very interesting, because his book, reading his books would not lead me to think he'd have a rally like that. They, they don't connect. And I bet most of the people at the rally haven't read his books. They just tap into his anger. Right, interesting. Those are very thoughtful comments in, in observing uh, him in the book and either live or watching his uh, I'll call them performances. Um, so thank you for that. Um, Let me just read one that he said. Sure. Okay, page 149. Here's a quote. Okay. <laughs> Iowa is a state not so much won by Republicans as lost by Democrats who have not been bold enough to stand up for the working people of the state. Wow. Yeah. That's some strong rhetoric. 
and, and you'd like me to cock it for you? Yeah. Because I'm not bold enough? Really? That kind of thing. Very interesting. So uh, two other things that uh, he says in this book, he refers to, uh, which is, this is particularly relevant to today, he refers to congressional abdication of its obligations and deferral to the president, uh, which has in the past resulted in vast unintended consequences. And, of course, we see that today. And the other other one in reference to grassroots changes, uh, the grassroots... He, he says that real change always begins at the grassroots level and that grassroots in the modern era includes live streaming. And then he says, if you say you want a revolution, the revolution may not be televised, but it may be live streamed. And that was interesting coming from a, how old is Bernie now? Oh, I, yeah, he's not the oldest, but he's right there, right? <laughs> he's close. Uh, so that was an interesting observation. Who is after Senator Sanders? My girl, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> so, her book, your girl, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Senator... Well, let me Ma- tell you, because it's related to her book. Okay. Um, so, I set myself a deadline of the state fair to make my choice. Because um, I felt like I wanted to work for whatever candidate I chose. I wanted to knock doors, make phone calls, yada, yada. Now, this is Kendra the person, not necessarily Kendra the journalist. Sure. And I joined the book club, and I went to see them, and I watched debates, and I read articles, and I'm a nerd. Um, and we were supposed to go to the state fair. My husband and I had a date date planned on the very, very last day of the state fair, and I hadn't decided. And we woke up that morning, and my husband bailed on me. He didn't want to go. Uh-huh. So I took that as an opportunity to hit the backyard, hit the hammock, and finish Elizabeth Warren's book. And I got to page 178, and I liked the whole book. She's and one thing I'll say, her writing style is very similar to mine, so perhaps that's the reason, and the teachers stick together. I hit page 178, and it brought tears to my eyes. And that's when I decided I was kind of overthinking this whole picking a candidate. With 150 amazing candidates, we can't go wrong, really, with whoever we pick. And I wanted to pick the one who brought tears to my eyes. And that was deliberately from her book and deliberately from the way she writes. So that's, her book was kind of life-changing, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. So what, what was on 178, or is that just, it was just accumulation of everything she had written? It was accumulation. I got to page 178, and she said something beautiful, and it was her overall vision of the country, I believe, is what it was. And it, I just went, yep, that's it. You know, that's it. The parts of her book are, I'm going to say, inconsistent with her rhetoric, or, or they're not in harmony. She, well, she too, like uh, Senator Sanders, has a terrific or an interesting, and I think terrific, historical perspective. Uh, she is so, in my opinion, she's so formed by the history of her family and what they went through during the Depression and so on. Uh, one of the things she said, uh, economic crises bite hard and the memories don't fade. And boy, is that true. Um, but for example, on regulation, she says, markets need a cop on the beat to make sure everyone follows the rules and assures the free market. I am deeply pro-market and in favor of competition. I believe in competitive markets, but there must be rules. But if you listen to her rhetoric, uh, and certainly the reaction to her rhetoric, there's less, there, there isn't a lot of confidence uh, in her belief of being deeply pro-market. Now, uh, but, and so this balance that she refers to, I think is inconsistent with the rhetoric. Do you agree or do you think I have that wrong? Um, 
you know, now that you pointed out, that didn't stand out to me. And and I think her acknowledgement all the time that she's a capitalist yep. is her how are you different from Bernie Sanders' answer. Yes. You know, she she rails against the big banks, and I think you know. So I'm 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 in New York, and I've been a lawyer and a banker, and so of course I'm reading this with a different eye than many. But she paints with a very very I think overly broad brush. But again, everybody reads these things through their the eyes of their own experience. Uh, at the same time, uh, she is, and this certainly comes through in the book, a determined advocate for a living minimum wage, and she focuses on blacks, blacks and Latinos, and uh, she points out, and, and I certainly know, I think we all know that that they are disproportionately impacted by the financial crisis. Uh, she talks about the importance of home ownership, uh, and so there, there are so many things that um, are appealing, uh, but at the same time, the overemphasis on the importance of regulation and her... And it, it sounds like she's compensating, as you suggested, about being a capitalist and about being uh, pro-market. Uh, so, so it's hard to know. And, and one thing I say to people like my mother, who, you know, thinks she's way too extreme, this is what she's saying now. Whoever gets elected, there's going to be compromises in there. And maybe what she's doing is she's laying down the line to start the compromise, you know? Yeah, so that, that's, that's very interesting. So I thought of that this morning as I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. I have confidence in her and 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 many of the others that they will choose uh, very competent people to work with them. And, right. and and we see the contrary today to a large extent, not entirely, but certainly to a large extent. And uh, even though the president has a tremendous amount of power, uh, it's not unlimited power. So, you know, perhaps I'm with your mom on this. Uh, one other quote from Elizabeth Warren that I found interesting. She uh, decries the lack of a level playing field and the concentration of wealth. And she quotes from Supreme Court Justice uh, Louis Brandeis, who said, We can have democracy in this country or we can have great wealth concentrated in the hands of a few, but we can't have both. So on the one hand, uh, th there's a balance there. On the other hand... Uh, I, I'm concerned with her as a candidate because there won't be as much of an opportunity for wealthy, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, to find their way uh, to the Democratic ticket. So that, that's just a concern I have. Okay. Uh, Andrew Yang next? Yes, that's the last one in the book club. Okay. Although we can discuss Biden if you want to just because I read it. Oh, yeah. No, so so he, he was in the book club. He was added at the end. But so let, let's. Was added, but they never posted his discussion. Ah, got it, got it. Okay, so let, let's talk about Yang, and then let's talk about Biden. Okay. Okay. Um, well, Yang is interesting. He is a really interesting guy to me. I really want to meet him. He's one of the very few I haven't met. But if you read his book, it's a formula. I was at an event. A friend of mine, who also happens to be really smart and famous, pointed out a problem. I went home and looked up the problem, and oh my God, he's right. It's a horrible, horrible problem. It's going to destroy the world in 10 years unless you elect me. <laughs> Every chapter is like that. Yeah. Interesting. And I don't think you notice the formula unless you read the book really quickly, which I did. If you just read a little bit at a time, you're like, okay. But everything from we're not going to have any truck drivers anymore because we're going to have self-driving cars, and then what are we going to do with all these truck drivers? Wait, I have the only idea that will work. And we need to do it now because in 10 years there will be no more truck drivers. Every chapter 
That, that's interesting. So I, I read it, and I, I refer to it as a frightening dystopian picture uh, that he Very paints. Much. And you know, I like your observation. And, and by the way, his book is called, the, it's the longest title, I think, The Truth About America's Disappearing Jobs and Why Universal Basic Income is Our Future. So uh, he paints a... This is the first part, The War on Normal People. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. The war on normal people. The truth about America. I just did that part. Yeah, the war on normal people. Uh, is what? What is his support base like? I mean, that I don't. I had a gang guy call me last Friday. I was actually going to see Tom Steyer, who doesn't have a book, but he's certainly interesting. And if you think Bernie Sanders doesn't like Trump, you need to meet Tom Steyer. Oh yeah. He really, really doesn't like Trump. Um, and my phone rang, and it was uh, a Andrew Yang person. And they had a, he goes, I have a big ask for you. And I said, okay. And he said, would you caucus, I know you're with Elizabeth Warren, but would you caucus for Andrew Yang first? Would you make him your first one? And then when he's not viable, then go to Warren. You still get Warren in the end, but would you go to Yang first? It took me forever to figure out why, but I finally figured out why. There's a new statistic that they're, that they're getting this year. Collecting. The new statistic that they're collecting this year is who is your first choice? Huh. They've never collected it before. And that's the, that's the data, apparently, that the Andrew Yang campaign wants to take right. out of this yes. pocket system. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a real interesting act. Yes. Um, have you read Kurt Vonnegut's Player Piano? No, I have not. <sighs> well, this would be the nonfiction version of that. About halfway through, all I could think of this reads like Kurt Vonnegut's Player Piano. Really? Which was his first novel, by the way. The one he wrote when he was still in Iowa City, so there's kind of that. <laughs> uh, very dystopian. Yeah, dystopian. And uh, as thought-provoking as his UBI is, his Universal Basic Income Proposal, um, he says it eliminates poverty by paying everyone. I, uh, I, I, I read it, reread it, thought about it, read articles about it. Uh, I, I don't get it. So um, there's that as well. And no mention of foreign policy or most other issues. You know, it's... Um, He's got, he's certainly... Yeah, I know, yeah. He's well, certain, he also, I mean, just things he said, just, he just said some interesting things that I'd really, like, I thought a direct comparison between his book and Marianne Williamson's book would be interesting. Because <laughs> they think so differently, right? Yeah. Um, he's very different. I think young people think he's brilliant and like that he thinks different and kind of share his, their dystopian view, I guess. Yeah. Their yeah. fearful view. I also think maybe a place in the cabinet might be a place for him. Well, I thought this of that. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I did think of that. Um, so, so let's go to uh, Vice President Joe Biden. Obviously, f former Vice President, former Senator from Delaware. His book, uh, which was also unusual from the point of view of a campaign book, "Promise Me, Dad: A Year of Hope, Hardship, and Purpose." So, so what did you think about Biden's book? You know what? That was. Um, going back to kind of your original focus, how does their personal life or their background story or their upbringing or whatever make who they are? His is also a little bit later in life, kind of like Amy Klobuchar. His is less his dad and his mom and more his son and his wife. Yes. And I think those things influence what he does more than, than anything else. You know, the, the wife and the, the two children. Right. Um, and it certainly makes him compassionate. Yes, oh, absolutely. Um, but I think his thing, and I think reading his book is really important because, and I do this, I'm very much like this, but when he speaks out loud, 
oh my gosh, you know, there's, you know, Uncle Joe puts his foot in his mouth again, you know, that thing. He does have complete, concise thoughts. They are complex. They are well thought out and presented. It's just that doesn't always come off in that 30 second soundbite. Right, right. So that's why reading his book was important. Yeah, I um, agree. And he's got fascinating experiences. You know, when all these other ones stand up, and I'm talking including, you know, my favorites, and say, well, this is what I do with foreign policy. This is what I do. If it was me, this is what I do. That's what Gabriel says. Joe Biden's about the only one that says, well, this is what I've done. Yes, he, he has immense foreign policy experience. He has immense experience. Yes. You know? Yes. And that's what comes out with him is, you know, Andrew Yates can stand up and say he knows how to save truck drivers' jobs or he knows how to save a job or whatever. Here's what I've actually done to save a job yeah. for people. And yeah. It's a different way to look at something. Yep, yep, yep. Um, he, Biden, you know, what I got out of the book, you know, we've all observed him for so long in so many different roles, and uh, like the rest of us, he's not perfect, but uh, in my view, he's, he's a fundamentally very decent and talented public service. Uh, he's focused intently on the restoration of the middle class. Uh, as you said, he's got great sensitivity, and he's hopeful. Is a uh, he, res- he he includes in his book a recitation of a poem by uh, Seamus Heaney, if I'm pronouncing his name right, the Irish poet. Uh, and it goes: History says, "Don't hope on this side of the grave." But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up, and hope and history rhyme. So uh, you know he's flawed as we all are, and. Uh, some some say he's a man whose time may have passed, but uh, he's got experience, sensitivity, which I think is critical, and immense experience, which at this time is also critical. And uh, I, I'm just hopeful that uh, those who are uh, cultish or otherwise uh, in favor of uh, Senator Sanders and Senator Warren and, and others will, if uh, Vice President Biden gets a nomination, realize how important that experience is. Right. And I, I uh, actually, yesterday I had a chance to have five minutes along with John Kerry, which might have been the most petrifying five minutes of my life. <laughs> uh, normally when I meet these candidates, I'm in a group. It was me and him. It was epic. And um, I said, tell me one reason. I don't want to, one reason. You tell me one reason to vote for Joe Biden. One. And he said he can hit the ground running, and we've never needed that more than we do now. Yeah. yeah. Interesting sentence. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we made a little video of me and him blowing kisses to my mommy. I, I saw that. I saw that. And congratulations did to you. Did you see that one? I did. Congratulations <laughs> to your mother. I So I, I agreed with her earlier about something on the podcast. I think she's the best. She's absolutely the best. My mother? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> absolutely. So, she's a good one, yeah. You're going to keep her. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Really, you're a delight to talk with. I appreciate it. Follow us on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com, on Instagram and Twitter at bookwormsitw, and on Facebook at bookwormsinthewild. And direct message me to tell me what you're reading or email me at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. More information about our guest today can be found on our website, which also includes my brief reviews of all of the 2020 Democratic candidate books I read or listened to, and links to the books and other resources we referred to in our discussion. 
Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design for the podcast, our website, and my bookmark. Let me know if you'd like a bookmark sent to you. Melanie, as always, is in control of most everything and has provided overall creative direction. Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And of course, Carol is my muse. Nine-month-old Jake continues to encourage the podcast, but what he most continues to do is to charm everyone he meets, particularly his Aunt Mickey, as well as to eat in vast quantities. The entire Wolf Pack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests. Thanks also to the great Anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments either directly on the podcast or at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time.